if you haven't been with us or if you're visiting here, you're here for the first time, uh, let me catch you up because we're ending a series where we've been studying the book of Acts. And we've been going through Acts because it helps us know what was the first church like? What was the early church like? What were the early believers and Christians like? And if we can ask that question and dig into the book of Acts to find the answers, that helps us today. That helps our church today. That helps us as believers today. Church has changed a lot since then, but there's a lot of things, we've been saying this, that there's a lot of things that should not change. And that's what we wanna find. And that's what we wanna point out. And that's what we wanna see. What was the early church like so that we can follow suit? And we've learned a lot about the early church and those early believers. One of them, we're gonna talk a lot about it today, but there's this theme that comes up pretty regularly throughout Acts and even through the rest of the New Testament as the New Testament authors are writing to these early churches. It's the theme of generosity. Right? And in Acts chapter 2, we looked at that a few weeks ago. We saw that this early church was so generous and they cared so much about generosity that they shared what they had, that they sold possessions to give to those in need. There's this big idea of what we've been given, we're also called to give back. Now today, and I'm sure this would be very similar in a lot of ways for the early church, we don't hear it as much, but let's be honest, the word generosity immediately sucks the energy out of the room, doesn't it? <laughs> The moment you say generosity, we begin to think, and maybe it's just me, but I bet you would agree. When we say generosity, we begin to think of everything we don't have versus the things we do have. We begin to think things like, well, I, I can't give because I don't have. And if I had more, then I could give more. And I can't be generous because I'm limited. We begin to have real quick excuses on why generosity doesn't work for us today or in this season or in this situation or in my context. And the story we're going to see is all about generosity, but it has nothing to do with what you're probably thinking. Because what we're going to see in our story this morning is Peter and John are extremely generous, but their generosity actually comes out of what they do not have. So that's what I want us to be thinking about. That's what I want you to pay attention to is not just what they had, but also what Peter and John did not have. What were their limitations? Because what you're going to see is their limitations allowed for opportunities to happen, allowed for generosity to be had, and even a miracle. And it all starts with what they don't have. It begins with their limitations. So if you have your Bible, uh, be in Acts chapter three, we'll spend most of our time there as we go through this story. If you don't have a Bible, I've got a stack of them right outside where you can find your t-shirts and everything. Grab you a Bible, that's our gift to you. Put your name in it, write in it, bring it with you, study it during the week. It's the best gift I know how to give uh, you. If you don't have it, you'll get it later. We'll put the verses up on the screen so you can at least follow along. But here's the story. Still early on, it's Acts chapter three, so this is early on in the development of the early church. Like I said, we read out of Acts 2 a few weeks ago. So this church is growing. People are noticing that there's a difference with these Jesus followers. Here's what happens. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man, lame or paralyzed from birth, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from people as they go into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. So even right there, you get a little bit of the scene. Peter and John are doing what they normally would do. They would head into their church, the temple, to pray. And as they're walking in, there would be a crowd walking in. So it would make a lot of sense 
for this paralyzed man, this lame man, to sit on the side of this gate. And we kind of get a little bit of a picture of what that probably looked like, even with some of the language where he technically saw Peter and John. He's asking them for money, but it's not just Peter and John. It's the whole crowd as they're walking into church that day. And I would imagine as he was just kind of sitting on the side next to the front door, just kind of holding his hands up, his eyes are probably downcast, maybe even closed, and he's probably muttering kind of the same thing, right? It's, it's what you would expect from someone like this of, do you have any money? Do you have any money you can spare? Do you have any money? Do you have any money? Not expecting a lot of return, not expecting to really receive anything, but this is his routine to find financial support. He's just asking everybody that walks through that door for some money. Verse four, Peter and John looked at him and this word is crucial. We're gonna talk a lot about it. What is it? They looked at him, how? Intently, intently, specifically, intentionally with intensity. They looked at him and then Peter said, look at us. Now, the fact that Peter not just looked intently at him, but then said, look at us, helps us again see that picture of here's a man that's just desperate. And he's not necessarily eyeballing every single person that walks in. He's seeing a crowd and he's just asking for some help. But Peter and John take notice. They look at him intently. Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked, look, eagerly expecting some money. That's what he was expecting, but he's about to get something very different. Verse six, Peter said, I don't have, there's the word, there's the phrase. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. And typically that might be the end of the story. I don't have what you're asking for. I don't have what you're wanting. I don't have any money, period, move on. But there's another sentence. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, period, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. It's a story that starts with a limitation. It's a story that begins with that phrase, I don't have. And again, for us, typically that's where we would stop. That's where the story would end with us. I'm sorry, I don't have anything. I'm sorry, I don't have what you need. I don't have what you want. I can't help. And so we then just dismiss and walk away. But that limitation of I don't have any money for you. I don't have what you're asking for. I don't have what you're expecting is what actually leaves room for a miracle to happen. I mean, it's an incredible miracle. I mean, I don't want to just pass by that. I mean, it's a miracle. God showed up, did something that no one else could do. And it was only explained by a God thing using and working through Peter and John. But this was a miracle and this was a God thing. And I don't, like I said, I don't want to gloss over the miracle, but I don't want to just focus on the miracle. Because Peter and John's response and attitude and actions in this situation is something that we can all hold on to. Because we can all under, we can all relate to the things we don't have. Again, that's usually where our mind goes. I don't have this. I don't have that. I can't do this. I can't help with that because I'm limited. But like Peter and John, could we, instead of focusing on our limitations, could we focus on what we do have? Because the same thing, the things that Peter and John had, I believe are the same things that we have today. For example, the very first part I had to say it and I had us look at it, that Peter and John looked at him intently and even stopped long enough to have a conversation and say, now look at us. 
The first thing we see that Peter and John had that we also have today might not be money, might not be all the resource, but we have attention to give. They had attention that they were willing to spend on this man that needed help. Again, he wasn't expecting, the man wasn't expecting to gain a lot of attention. We would assume that he was just asking for resources. He wasn't expecting conversation. He wasn't expecting relationship. He wasn't expecting dialogue. He wasn't expecting to be given attention, but that's exactly what Peter and John give him. They looked intently at him. Now to look intently at someone, you have to slow down. You have to stop. You have to use your eyes. You're totally focused on that one individual. And that costs something. When we give our attention, that attention is not cheap. It costs something. Let's practice it. Let me prove my point here. All right, you're doing mostly a pretty good job. I think I've got almost everybody's attention. Let me have your attention for a second. Let me have your eyeballs. Let me have your attention. Let me hang on to it. Don't let go. Stay with me. Keep my, keep, let me keep your attention. You will never get that time back. <laughs> and that was a waste of about three and a half seconds. <laughs> you will never get that back, ever. You paid attention. You gave up a lot to give me that attention in that moment, even just for a few moments. Right? Because of the way attention works, we like to think that we can have split attention. We like to think that we can multitask with our attention, but you truly cannot. Because in that moment when we were having attention, when you were giving me your attention, you could not do anything else. If you had, that's enough, Brian, let me go to my phone. Oh, then you've, you've lost there. You, you, have no long, you have not given me attention anymore. You have shifted your attention somewhere else. If you looked over to the person next to you, now no longer are you giving me attention, you're giving the person next to you attention. Attention is specific to that one person or that one thing in that one moment. And that attention is costly. You could be doing so many other things this morning between the hours of 9.30 and 11. You could be doing a lot of other things, yet you've chosen to give your attention to God, to worship to study the word, to be around other believers, to grow in your relationship with him, to strengthen your faith. You could be spending your attention in so many other ways and places, yet in this moment, you have focused it. So what do we do with that? We're generous with it. Like Peter and John, we should be generous with our attention. When someone needs something, and I know we can't do everything for everyone, so don't take this to the extreme. But what you see with Peter and John is a great example of, no, I can give some attention here. And so I stop, I pause long enough to then look intently at someone. They didn't just notice this man, they saw this man. I mean, really saw him and wanted to interact with him and wanted to give their attention to him. Be generous with your attention. There's something that um, I was challenged with this a long time ago, and I'm gonna give you a, a similar challenge here in just a moment, is that's how God works oftentimes, is God will put people in your life that need your attention. And I believe that God will start to put people on your heart and on your mind that need your attention, which means, let's play that out again, if you're to give your attention to someone else, that means you have to refuse attention to everything else in that moment. To give your attention to someone, you have to refuse to give your attention to everyone else in that moment. 
So we have to be generous with it because we can't do everything all the time. We need to be generous and we need to be able to pay attention. There's that even phrase, pay attention. It's a cost to who God is putting in front of us. So as I said, I was challenged with this. I want to do the same thing for you. Here's the challenge, and I form it as a prayer. Lord, when you bring someone to my mind, I will pay attention. That's not a coincidence that somebody pops in your head. That's the work of the Holy Spirit saying, someone needs your attention. Pay attention to them. So for me, you figure out the best way that works for you. For me, when someone's on my heart or someone pops in my head, I'm like, let me text them. And usually that text is, hey, you're on my mind today. How can I pray for you today? And it's fascinating on how many responses back are, oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe the timing. This is going on and this is happening. And, and yes, would you pray for this? And I'm like, of course. Doesn't happen all the time by any stretch, but it's amazing what God does in us if we will pay attention and do something with it. So would you be willing? There's your challenge for the week. God, anybody that you bring to my mind, I'm just gonna pay attention to them. Might be a quick text, might be a phone call, might be a go out of my way to see them at work. How will you pay attention to the people that God puts in front of you? Be generous with your attention. Then we see the healing happen. Now we see the miracle, right? And this miracle, again, comes out of a limitation. I don't have what you're asking for. I don't have the resources. I don't have the finances. But what I do have, that I'm going to give you. I do have, Peter and John would say, I do have faith, faith in Jesus. And from that faith in Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with him. We talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit last week and how the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. God's presence lives in us and there's power that comes from it. The same power that we read in this story is the same power that lives in us today. Now, don't limit the Holy Spirit's power to just healings though. Because you might be thinking, well, I, I've not done this in my life and I've never seen this in my life. So that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's working, right? That means the Holy Spirit's not working, right? No, the Holy Spirit lives in you. When you have faith in Jesus and you're a believer and you've given your heart to him, we receive the gift, the free gift of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with him lives and dwells in us. And he's working in us, just like Trace Ledison. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, we know God is working through his Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. And he is just as active and he is just, he's moving just as much and is evident as we see in this story. Let me give some examples because you might not claim this to be the Holy Spirit and I'll tell you it is. Those moments where you have a close friend that's hurting and going through some difficulties and you're there to give them comfort, that's the Holy Spirit moving. Because the Holy Spirit, we're told this in 2 Corinthians that we are comforted by him and then we are to use that to comfort others. So that's the Holy Spirit in you comforting somebody else through you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's something you have that somebody else needs. You're able to give that comfort because he first gave it to you. We also see that in those moments where somebody is really struggling and they are just dumping on you and they're venting to you. And in your mind, you're thinking, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be saying right now. I don't know what the words, I've never experienced this. I don't know what to say. And somehow you end up with the right words. Sometimes you realize I'm not supposed to say anything. I'm just gonna listen. That's not you that's the Holy Spirit giving you that wisdom and discernment, and now you're using that to help somebody else. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you and working through you. The Holy Spirit has given you something that you now are to give to somebody else, and it might just be a word. That's how God works. The faith that we have, the Holy Spirit gives and works in us so that we can give that 
to others, whether it's seen in a word, whether it's seen in a comforting moment, whether it's seen through a healing, it's the power that's in us that we now give to those around us. We live in a very dark and broken, sinful, confused, and lost world. I mean, welcome to life, right? That's been the case since the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world, the world became broken, lost, and confused. But as believers, with the Holy Spirit living in us, we also have truth. And so those moments where you're able to not just know the truth, but speak the truth in love, once again, the gift of the Spirit working in us, that we're able to use that to help those around us with truth, but also in love. We can talk about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. We're told that the fruit of the Spirit is in us, that the Holy Spirit is developing these things in us, working in us to produce these things. If you know it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Put them up there so you can see them. Those are not things that come from us. It's not, man, I really want to work on being patient. I'm going to have to be a more patient person, so I'm going to try really hard to be patient. That's not how patience works. It's the Holy Spirit develops that in you, and then we do work to do better. But it starts with the Holy Spirit producing that in us. Same thing with faithfulness, gentleness. All of these are produced. They are given to us and developed in us by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the catch with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those are not for you, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are not so that I am just more patient and I have more joy. And so I get to be more kind. No, every single one of those are produced in us to be given to someone else. That's the whole point. It's the purpose of fruit, isn't it? The apple is produced on an apple tree, not for the sake of the tree, the tree doesn't say, I am so glad I have apples today. Doesn't use the apples, doesn't need the apples, but it produces apples. These apples are for our benefit. We reap the benefit of what the tree produces. The same is true in our lives. Because of the faith that we have in Jesus, because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we will produce things that are not for us, but are for the good of the people around us. That's what we see happening with, here, happening with Peter and John here. They have a power that's not from themselves, but it is given to them and it is used for someone else. That's how the Holy Spirit works, to develop something in you so that you can give it to someone else. So here's a prayer. I've given you one. This one might put you over the edge. So let's see how you do. You ready? Lord, who needs what from me today? Who needs what from me today? Go back through those, the fruit of the Spirit we just went through. Who needs love from me today? Who needs joy from me today? Who needs peace from me today? Let's get patience, too convicting. Let's go to the next one. Who needs joy from me today? Who needs my goodness? Who needs my kindness? Who needs my faithfulness? Who needs my self-control? Begins to change how we think of those. Who needs what from me today? This man that was originally asking for money could have asked for something very different. He's like, ah, no one's gonna give me that. Sure, I'd love to have healing. I'd love to have the power that comes from God through the Holy Spirit, but no one's going to have that for me. Next time somebody begins to ask you for something, think through, what do they really need? Not what they're asking for, what do they really need? Because I might not have what they're asking for, but I bet I have something that they truly need. Notice this next part here. So as the healing happens, there's a really wonderful progression that happens. We're told in verse seven, then Peter took the lame man by his right hand and helped him up. And as he did that, that's when the man was healed. 
Then this man stood up, jumped up, stu- or jumped up, stood on his feet, and then began to walk. And then that walking turned into leaping and praising God. There's a really interesting progression that happens here. And so I want us to slow that part down so you don't miss it. This was not Peter and John saying, look at me. I don't have money, but I do have something better. Get up and walk. See you later. Like that would have been okay, right? Peter and John didn't have to stay there, but they chose to stay and help this man through what was about to happen. It was not, you're healed. Now figure the rest of it out. We've got other things to do. It was, I don't have this, but what I do have, I'll give you and I'm gonna help you through it. What they were encouraging this man to do was something he had never done in his entire life. We're told that he had been lame, he had been paralyzed since birth. So for Peter and John to say, get up and walk. I would imagine this man somewhere in his mind was thinking, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know where to start. And Peter and John said, we got you. Let me have your hand. And I'm actually going to help lift you up. I'm going to help you get stable to stand on your own two feet. And I'm going to point you in the right direction. Because that's what walking is, right? It's one step. We've talked about that before. It's one step after another in the right direction. What else did Peter and John have to give to this man? Even after he was promised healing? Them just being there. Them reaching out a hand to say, I'm going to help you get started in this. Not to just leave you to figure it out on your own. Never underestimate the power of your presence in someone's life. You might have the answers. You might be able to point them and say, this is what you ought to do and give them advice. But you being there to walk them through that is powerful. And it's a gift that we do have to give. There's a lot of things we don't have, but you have your presence. You have the ability to be there with people as they're walking through where God's leading them. Like I said, let me slow this down again so you see what Peter does. He reaches out his hand, grabs his hand, begins to pull him up. This is something this man has never done on his own before. So Peter's there to say, you don't have to do this on your own. I'm going to do this with you. I'm going to pull and you're going to stand up. We're going to do this together. Ready? On three. One, two, three. And as they're pulling together, scripture says it's as he helped him up, That's when the healing began to happen. Not before, during, something significant happens when you're involved in that part of people's lives. He pulled him up and this man was standing and has never stood in his life before. I would imagine he's a little wobbly. So you've got Peter and John there to stabilize him. Hey, we got you, we got you, you can do this. And then Peter and John began to back off a little bit and this man took one step and then another And those steps turned into jumping. Those steps turned into leaping. But it wasn't immediate. So how do we help people? How do we come alongside people? If our presence has power in people's lives, how do we use that presence to help? Here's my suggestions. I see this in what Peter and John did. Let me put these up. Let me kind of walk you through them a little bit. And I hope you begin to see this in the people around you. Maybe they've done this for you, and now you have the opportunity to do this to somebody else. You lift them up. They've never done this before. They don't know where to start. You say, that's all right. I'm going to go. I'll meet you halfway. Let me help you. Sometimes that's through word. That's through encouraging. Hey, you can do this. I believe in you. I'm going to walk there with you. I'm here to answer questions. I'm here to help you along. Sometimes that is physically. They can't do it on their own, so I'm going to have to step in for a little bit. 
You're going to have to be involved to lift them up. You help them stand on their own. Notice Peter and John didn't pull them up and then carry them everywhere. There's times for that. Absolutely. We are to carry one another at times in our life. But at some point, I've got to learn how to stand on my own two feet, and I need to help others know how to stand on their two feet. In a spiritual context, it's how do I own my faith? How do I learn to do this on my own so I'm not always reliant on everybody else around me? Yes, we enjoy the fellowship with one another, but I also have to be able to stand on my own two feet. Why do I believe what I believe? So as you're walking somebody through their next steps in faith, they've got to do some of this on their own, but you're there to help them. As they begin to falter, no, 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 I got you. Let's get you back on track. I'm here to answer questions. I'm here to walk you through it. You've got to stand, but I'm going to be there to help you to make sure you don't fall flat on your face. Then you guide them in their next steps. We don't just stay put. We move closer to Jesus. We keep taking those next steps. We see Peter and John do all three of those, and it came from their presence. So how can we do the same for the people around us? Don't underestimate the value, the importance, and the power of your presence in somebody else's life. To reach out your hand, to lift them up, to help them stand on their own two feet, and to then guide them in their next steps. And then you get to step back and watch them jump and leap and praise God and watch God work through them as well. I see this with my kids especially my oldest. He's learning prime numbers and factors in math right now. And his, his quick question for me usually is, well, dad, what's the answer? Dad, is 13 a prime number? I'm like, time out. Like you're asking the wrong question. Like I can give you the answer after I Google it. I can give you the answer, <laughs> but then let's, but that's not helpful, is it? Right? We have to turn Alexa off in our house while the kids do homework. She's too helpful. <laughs> it's like, no, stop asking for just the answer. So what do we do as parents when we're helping our kids with their homework? It's, well, let's figure it out. You can do this. Think through what you've learned. Let's look at the notes you took from class. Now what do we learn from it? And how do we figure that out? So I'm there lifting up, helping, and encouraging. But they also have to learn how to do this on their own. But it's not like, ah, you'll figure it out. It's no, I'll be right there with you, but I need you to do the work. And I'm going to help guide you. And then now I want you to do the next problem. I want you to do that without me. Let's see how you do. And guess what? They begin to do that over time. It's the exact same way with we help one another. I have a good friend, Rich. And Rich texted me a few weeks ago. He's like, hey, can we meet up and talk through some things? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. And Rich did such a great job because he could have just asked me the question. He could have just said, Here's what I'm wrestling with. And specifically, that question had to do with like, what happens after we die? And that's a very simple question to ask. What happens after you die, period, or question mark? I need to go back to school for math and that. What happens after we die? And he could have texted me the question. I could have given him a couple scriptures with a pretty simple answer back. Well, here's what happens. Instead, we had a great dialogue over coffee for about an hour. Well, let's talk. Where's that question coming from? Well, what do you think? And how does this impact? Here's what I see. What do you think? And we had such a great conversation that was more than just question answer. It was presence. What happens when you do that with the other people in your life? You will see incredible things happen. Even though you don't think you have much to offer, you truly do have much to give, including your presence. So Peter and John, they had attention that they gave. They gave to somebody and it did. It cost them, but they were willing to give it generously. They had a faith in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in them that they were able to use for the benefit of somebody else. And they just had themselves to be there, to be a presence in somebody else's life. 
Now, if we keep reading, there's another part of this story I don't want you to miss. So verse nine, this is after he's healed, he gets up and he starts moving from standing to walking to jumping and leaping and praising God. Verse nine, then all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the same lame beggar that they had seen often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that when we step back and let God move, that's the response, awe amazement, astounded. Verse 11, they rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. He's still with them. They still have their presence. But verse 12 is where I want you to notice. Then Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. And if you keep reading, you'll see Peter's sermon. You'll see a moment where he explains where this power came from and who Jesus truly is and what it means to follow Jesus. What started out as a limitation, I don't have what you're asking for. I can't help you the way that you're asking. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. The fact that Peter and John focused on what they had, not just what they were lacking, didn't just help this man. It gave them an opportunity. An opportunity where we're told later the church then grew from 3,000 to about 5,000 believers. What an opportunity that started out with what they lacked, but they focused on what they had. For you and for me, our limitations leave room for God. Our limitations leave room for miracles to happen and opportunities to be taken advantage of. If it wasn't for Peter and John lacking resources, this story could have ended with the beggar asking for money. Sure, here's some money, and they move on with the rest of their life. The fact that they had limitations forced them to use what God had given them in a different way that led to not just a miracle for this man, but led for an opportunity for truly thousands to come to follow Jesus. Now, if you're like me, there's a thought that might sneak in your mind as we talk about people like Peter and John. This happens when we talk stories about Moses in the Old Testament or stories of Joshua and his courage. Like This happens often when we read stories in the Bible about characters that are just like super Christians. You read this and the thought tends to be, that is an awesome story of a miracle and using what God's given you. That's great for Peter and John, but I'm not Peter and John. They've got a faith that I don't have. They were with Jesus in the way that I don't even know how to describe. And all of a sudden, we can start separating ourselves from the story and say, that's a nice story, but that's not me. And if that's where your thought goes, let me give you some encouragement. If you go over to chapter four, just real quick, you'll notice something here. What happens? You have those 5,000 people that the church grew to. Everybody's really excited except for the religious leaders. They tend to not like it when you talk about Jesus and the church grows. So they arrest Peter and John. They put them in jail. And then they begin to question Peter and John. Well, by whose power did you do this? And how did this happen? And why are you telling people about Jesus? They're really upset about it. And I want to read to you Peter's response. Verse 8 out of chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, those are the religious leaders, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Well, let me clearly state to you, to all of you and all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, quote, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. End quote. 
Verse 12, he makes it extremely plain. There is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Another great opportunity. Now, it's what happens after this that I want to point out. After he boldly and clearly states the gospel, notice what the religious leaders observe. Verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. We relate more to Peter and John than you give yourself credit for. You are very ordinary. Congratulations. <laughs> I am very ordinary. We don't have that much special training in the scriptures. So any of those things that you might say, I lack and I don't have enough understanding and I don't have enough knowledge and I don't have enough fill in the blank, Peter and John could say the exact same thing. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the special charisma. They didn't have the special training. Yet, they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have that. You have a relationship with Jesus. And that changes everything. One final question. Is it obvious that I have been with Jesus? Can you ask yourself that question? Is it obvious that, that me, that I, that you would put your name in there? Is it obvious that I have been with Jesus? Because there's a lot of things that I don't have. You and I, we have a lot of limitations. But if we go through our life just focusing on where we're limited, we are going to miss out on the miracles and the opportunities that God wants to do. Because at the end of the day, this is all we need to have, is a relationship with Jesus. Like Peter said, there is no salvation except through Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. So you start there. If you don't have a relationship with him, you start there. Well, I don't have. You don't need it. You need Jesus. And for those of us that follow him, we're always going to have limitations in life. But those limitations will lead to miracles and opportunities if we focus on I don't have, but here's what I do have. I have a relationship with Jesus, and that's all I need, and that's all you need. So may it be obvious that we have been with Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for stories like this, stories that help us realize that we have more than we actually think. And it's not about the resources or the finances or the materials or the experience, we can go through life just thinking we are unable to be used, that we cannot make a difference in the lives of people because of all that we don't have. And may this story we read, the example of, of Peter and John, may that remind us that we have more than we could ever ask for. We have more, that, more than what we need because we have a relationship with you and that relationship with you gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in us and gives us power to use to help those around us. That you place people in our lives that we get to walk through life with them. So Lord, through your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us individually? Would you lead us to who we need to give our attention to? Would you remind us of what we do have? And may we live our life in a way that is obvious that we have been with you. In Jesus' name, amen.